0: Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing, and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it.
1: All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to The Grip Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth, the founder and CEO of Sisu and your host of the show. And today I have a special guest with me who I got to know probably about 90 days ago. And that's the great thing about being in the position I'm in. I get to meet people like Robert Lucido. Robert's our guest today. Robert is with Lucido Global, and he really heads up. A lot of people know Bob Lucido. I know he's KW famous anyway, and I think beyond that. Uh, Anyway, um, Robert really does all the systems, operations, and development for the company. I'll let him talk more about that. But uh, I think you guys are now over 50 locations. Is that right, Robert? Uh, We're
2: approaching 50. We're about 45.
1: Okay. So huge team and i want to emphasize team and so we'll talk about that here in a few minutes and i'd love to just start by getting your background robert i know when you first met me i had these jerseys in the background and you were drawn to that because you were a professional athlete uh not basketball but baseball and you know when i google you to, to try to learn more about you for this podcast you know i'm there's baseball pictures everywhere. So. <laughs> Wasn't tall enough to play basketball. So. Yeah. so so let's talk about that. You know, the, the name of this podcast is Grit, Real Estate Growth Mindset. But really, the grit is what I want to key in on because, in my opinion, that's the most important thing for someone to be successful in anything. And so let's go back and dive into your background and your baseball career.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up playing baseball. Uh, ever since I was five, I dreamed of playing the big leagues. You know, my dad started me young. We would we started with push-ups and sit-ups every every other day growing up. We would go over, you know, after school, we'd hit in the basement of my grandfather's my grandfather's house. Baseball was always my dream and passion since I was five uh and started early. Played through high school. As you, you know, as I alluded to before, basketball wasn't my path. I was never the biggest guy. In fact, I was always probably the shortest guy on the team. Uh and I always needed to be the hardest worker on the team to achieve at the level that I wanted to. And so I think looking back, you know, everyone strives for the good times, but the, the adversity and the hard times, the struggles, that's what really shaped your character. And so I definitely relate to, to what you said regarding grit. And I think that really defined how I was able to play professional baseball, because growing up, I was always good. But I played against a lot of people and with a lot of people that were just naturally more talented, whether they're taller, faster or stronger. So it really took, you know, perseverance and resourcefulness in order to ultimately get there.
1: Awesome. So, so let's talk about that. Like, where did you get to and, and
2: yeah. where did it
1: stop? Like, cause that's part of what I want to know about is that challenge of, you know, okay, I'm not going to play professional baseball. I mean, my childhood dream was to be a professional basketball player. When I broke my finger my junior year in high school, this one right here, I realized uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it to college. Right. So, but you went much further than that. And so at some point you needed to decide, okay, you know, stop. Right. So
2: tell, tell us more about that. Like, yeah, so out um, of high school, you know, my, my dream school was Duke. I wanted a good academic school. That was Division One. ACC is right near where I grew up. You know, at the time, it was ACC, SEC. My coach played at NC State, so I was kind of partial there. So anyway, I wanted to go to Duke. I worked my tail off in order to get interest, you know, constantly reaching out to them every week. Finally, they came and watched me play, and I had one of the best games of my high school career, and I was pretty excited. They came up, talked to me after. I was like, finally, you know, it's all coming together. And then their entire coaching staff got fired, and the interest went with them. Uh, so then I went to my second school, which was Harvard. And so I went up for the visit, took part in their camp, had an unbelievable day, went four for five with three doubles, just crushed it. And uh, then they ended up presenting an offer to a guy who was six three out of Chicago. The guy didn't get in, and then the coach unfortunately passed away. So it was just this culmination of all these unfortunate events and ultimately brought down to University of Richmond. University of Richmond went down there and had a really good sh- showing for them. I actually threw a one eight down to second base, which was the best I've ever done. So that's the time from when you catch it to when it arrives at the second baseman's minute, second base and one eight is pro level. So I had a really strong tailwind that day. Uh, but anyway, I remember the recruiting coordinator called me and I, I was like, finally, you know, it's the scholarship offer. And he actually called me and the first words he said were, don't come to Richmond. And it was because the coach wouldn't have played me cause I was below six foot. And so they, he's like, I'm leaving the school because I've been trying to get you an offer for months and you won't do it just cause your height. So at that point, my D one interest offers had dissipated. I was obviously pretty crushed. And so I had a couple few dozen D three schools that I could have gone to. And at that point it was, you know, what's the best academic school I can go to. And the school I ultimately decided was Amherst college. And the reason was they had three uh, alumni who were big league general managers. And so I thought if I couldn't play, I wanted to be a big league front office guy. Um, and so that's what ultimately led me to, to Amherst College where, where I played college ball.
1: Okay, so this guy actually left the school because he was so frustrated that he couldn't couldn't bring you in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be i'll be frank i was actually in the bathroom when he called me and i was like crap what do i do and i picked up and i was like hello and he just blurted out with it he's like don't come to richmond you know he's not going to give you an offer you're going to be a walk-on you'll never play he's like just listen to me i'm leaving the school so that was that i went to college and college was his own experience it didn't exactly go out of plan and eventually i didn't actually even play my senior year in college but i played summer ball and summer ball is where i really turned some heads and that's where I got interest and you know the old adage is you never know who's watching and I was having a good year I was actually an all-star I was one of three division three players in the league and three or four I made the all-star team I led the league in a bunch of offensive categories and just coincidentally a guy saw me play he was a retired scout one call led to another I got a few workouts and that's what ultimately led to being drafted by the Blue Jays
1: okay That's awesome. So such a challenging time to get there. One of the things you mentioned is timing and I've had some of that in my career as well. Like the first time I had a company that we raised over $60 million and guess what happened? What? The dot-com bubble burst, right? 2001 tech, tech went from so inflated to like nearly impossible to grow a business. Um, So you know, timing is something we can't necessarily play into. The best of the best, maybe they, they're able to do that because they just have this sixth sense that, you know, drives them.
2: Some of it's timing, but it's also about putting yourself there and being positioning yourself to take advantage of that timing. I'm yeah. reading Steve Case's book now, founder of AOL, and they secured their first partnership with Apple. It didn't actually go according to plan, but that's how they got their foot in the door. They secured their first all uh partnership deal with Apple. And it was only because Steve Jobs had been relieved of service, he'd been fired. And so the new management agreed to license the Apple brand. And Steve Case in his own book says this deal never would have happened. They would have never licensed their brand. If for that, just one, you know, fortunate scenario, which was unfortunate for Jobs, but fortunate for him. But in order to take advantage of that opportunity, he moved out to the West Coast, he rented a one bedroom apartment, and he went to Apple's headquarters every day. For six months until finally he got in the door.
1: Well, even Steve Jobs though, like unfortunate for him at that time, but how much stronger did he come back?
2: I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, it sucks to go through it. You hate going through those times and they tend to break you down. But I mean, I've, I've basically learned and trained myself that those are the times I love because I know it's like, what, what's to learn here? Like, what's the message? How can I make myself better? Uh, and you always come out, you know, harder. Uh, what's, and, what's the growth? what's the outcome? What's, what's the positive outcome
1: that's going to come from this? Right?
2: Exactly. And so, I mean, if I hadn't struggled early on in my career, like, you know, not to be immodest, but I was always the hardest worker on the team. I first arrived last to leave, you know, my senior year, I (laughs) shortest guy on the team or junior year in college, I squatted over a hundred pounds heavier than the next closest guy. Like I I won all the strength categories. I mean, it was my goal and I was determined to do whatever I could to accomplish it. And so those, those, you know, sources of adversity standing between where I wanted to go. And I mean, of course where I actually wanted to end up, which was the big leagues, which didn't happen, but that's, that's really shaped who I am. Yeah. That's obvious. So we're going to take it one step further. You went to the blue Jays. I went to the blue Jays. I played for the blue Jays for two seasons. It was an absolute dream come true at the same time was incredibly stressful. I mean, think about like, you know, real estate's competitive. It's incredibly saturated with people. Like at the same time, it's like the complete opposite for baseball because there's so few positions and there's 40% turnover every year. You know, every day could be your last. And that sense of like, you know, you're always, you know, at least in my position, you're, you know you weren't a guy that signed for millions of dollars in the first round your back was always against the wall and you're doing whatever you could to get in the lineup. And if you got in that lineup, you're giving everything you could to try to get in the lineup the next day. So I played for the blue Jays for two years. Uh, We made it to the championship in our first season, which was the first time they had reached the championship. uh, I think ever in, in that league, we won game one, we lost game two by a run. We ended up losing to the Red Sox. So I went back, I got released in my second season. And, I mean, in its own right, I got re-signed by the Texas Rangers where I played for one season, and then I played for independent ball for a year after that.
1: Okay. So, I mean, you've spent your whole life, Robert, like baseball. I know just from coaching. I coached competitive basketball for kids growing up, and all the kids on my team would also play competitive baseball. Baseball was always top priority. Like, baseball is year-round. You are always, always – you know, competing, it's your life, through training. So how do you go from your whole life being baseball to now, okay, what am I going to do, right? That that had to have been a, a moment of, okay, you know, I was built, I, I, I'm i guessing in your mind, you were built to be a baseball star. And now, maybe not because you were a little bit short, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but now, like, w- what's this great thing you're going to do with your life? Because i know. Yeah. I know somebody as competitive as you, like you want to make great things happen.
2: Yeah. So. so, I mean, I mean, I went through it twice. So I got released by the Blue Jays and obviously that crush because it, it came and it, you know, it lasted for almost two years, but it flew by and all of a sudden it's like taken away from you. Like, you know, they say like, don't make baseball your full identity. My dad told me that like every week. And I was, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard to do it when it's your sole focus, like it's all you want in life. And so that came, you know, pulled it away and I got released by the Blue Jays and it's like, all right, what the hell do I do now? And I I wasn't willing to walk away. And so less than 5% of high school players ever play pro ball. But if you get released in pro ball, only 1% of those ever get re-signed. So if you get released, it's the kiss of death. And so I knew that, I'm a numbers guy, so I knew that in the back of my mind. But I was, you know, I wasn't ready to walk away. I I wanted to exhaust every possible opportunity. So, you know, I worked my network just like, you know, all realtors work their SOI. You know, I worked my network trying to get in touch with people. And ultimately what it came down to was just cold calling. And there are no public numbers for the front office. So I would just call the stadiums and just bullshit my way through. You know, I would call ticketing or stadium operations um, and I would just talk my way through. And so I remember when I did call the Texas Ranger Stadium, I called Stadium Operations and you know, I just said, Hey, I just got disconnected. Can you put me through to Kip? One second, sir. I was like, All right. Now you very rarely ever get an answer once you get transferred over. I got transferred over a few times. I only got answer answer twice. And a guy picks up, he goes, Hello. And I asked him who, you know. Sorry, who's this? He goes, It's Kip. You called me. I was like, crap, I got got him on the phone. So I just rolled. So I gave him my elevator pitch, you know, established base level rapport, told him about my situation. And he came back to me, something that always stuck. He said, Listen, I'm in my office two days out of the entire year. And you called me on one. He goes, I'm gonna give you a shot. I'm gonna call you next week after the winter meetings. And he did. And he invited me to spring training because I put myself out there, push my way through, talk myself to create that situation. And then the timing comes in, the fact that he was just in that office that day. Yep. So so I went through it the first time. I knew in, the, in my heart of hearts it wasn't going to happen again. At that point, I was t- turning 26. If you're 26, you need to be at least double A. Um, and knowing the dynamics of how it all works were basically – big leaguers get pushed down to triple A, triple A, you know, and then you're pushed up the top, you kind of get squeezed out of the middle. And so basically you need to be starting, you need to be playing and you need to be get promoted every year. Otherwise you're going to get, you know, asked to retire. Yeah. So I knew it wasn't going to happen again at that point, you know, you know, that's where I kind of hit rock bottom. There's a lot of stuff that happened, whether it was personal family health stuff that coincided with that. Um, And so that's where, you know, I was stuck in that, frankly, you know, you lose your identity. It's really tempting to get stuck in self-pity and so forth. Mm-hmm. So my career ended. I decided, you know what? Out of college, I was going to go in the Marines. I was all set to go to OCS when I got drafted. So I was like, you know what? I always knew that, and still it's going to be one of my biggest regrets, but I hung up the cleats, moved back up to Maryland to be close to Quantico to go into the Marine Corps. And I thought it was, you know, again, you going to take three or six months to get ready, get shipped out. And it took two years. So I had a sprained ankle and I got sick while playing in Dominican Republic. And those two things held up my medical clearance for two years. And so I was stuck at home. I'm, I'm a guy that needs to be in action, needs to be making progress. And I was sitting at home for a year, waiting for the call from the Marines, stuck in that, that state. And so looking back, that's not something I'll ever do again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about rock bottom for a minute, because I think we've all hit it. I know I've hit it a few times in my life. What's rock bottom for me may be different than rock bottom for somebody else. We all have our own journeys, but you're there. And so what's the next move? Like, how do you how do you get out of that, right? And how do you elevate, you know, your life was here. Now it's here. How did, how did you make that happen?
2: Have you read 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson? I have not. All right. I'm going to have to send you a copy. It's my favorite book. I've read it three times. Refer-
1: for life.
2: Yeah, there's actually the second one just came out. I actually suggested it to, to someone who's a close friend and and they were so appreciative that they actually arranged for me to go out and meet the author. We all went out together. Guys, wow. incredible. I read that book three times when I was in that rock bottom state. And so I'm a big believer in it. And basically, you know, if I was going to boil it down into one sentence, you know, life is full of suffering. It's inevitable. We're all going to hit challenges, adversity, whether it's, from natural or whether it's from you know other people's malevolence you need to have something to counterbalance it with and so ultimately the answer was progress of some sort you need to set a goal and you need to make progress towards that it can be a, a little goal and then you go a little bit bigger then a little bit bigger then you you know but you need to be making some sort of progress so you have some level of fulfillment towards that end goal and that's what it came down to me i, I
1: think progress is happiness i mean even You know, so many people think, oh, I mean, I'm working to retire, right? I'm working to retire. Well, if if you're working to retire, when you retire, you're going to realize it's not that glamorous because you're not growing anymore. You're not making progress. You're not going to be happy. So like find something you're passionate about and do it for life, right? 100%. Do something else for life, but do it for life because the minute you sit your butt down in front of that TV and that's your every day, that's when life sucks.
2: It does, and it's the difference between like short-term, fleeting happiness and a life of meaning. You know, a life of fulfillment. I really perceive those things as differently. I mean, you can pursue short-term happiness. You can go out and get hammered or whatever, have a good time one night. But in the heart of hearts, you know, if that's not getting you any closer to to something that would deliver full meaning and something that's sustaining. Uh, it's something that's going to help you grow and help you balance off that sense of suffering that's going to lurk down the door or around the, around the corner someone's going to get sick, you know the tragedy going to hit. You need to have something to counterbalance that. so that's why i'm I'm like super motivated in terms of pursuing meaning, charting a goal, charting a bigger goal, and working as hard as I can t- to get closer and closer to those big goals.
1: Yeah, so you know we could just end the podcast right here, and I think everyone's gotten the value that that they came for today. But, but we're
2: going to keep going. Um, I mean, if they read that book, they don't need to listen to me. That's That book's way better than I can do. It's unbelievable.
1: So I, I will download that book. Uh, I like to listen to my books. Uh, it allows me to multitask when I'm exercising or driving or something like that. But uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I won't need to ask you that question at the end of this podcast today. So let's talk about the Lucido
2: group. What are you guys up to? I should to. say Lucido, Lucido Global team, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, um, we're in a big transformation right now. We've been in that for the last, last two years, we really saw a change coming in the market and we wanted to reposition ourselves and we've been executing, you know, not just from a corporate level, but for all of our partners that comprise our, our business. So at the end of the day, it's always about helping our partners achieve their goal. And that's, you know, that's boilerplate or whatever. So, you know, if what does that mean, whatever it means to the partner, Everyone has goals, has family, has friends, has priorities. Money is just a tool. So what, are they to, what do they want to do with it? So we sit down with our partners and, you know, an architect, business plans for them. And then all those business plans, you know, ramp up, ramp up to the corporate level. So if we're helping them grow their business, grow their income, provide for the family, it comes back to us. So that's kind of how we approach it right now. Okay.
1: So two things. First, you said you saw a change in the market. What is that change? What changes do you see in the market? We're going to, we're going to look at the mar- We're going to look
2: at the market for a minute. We're going to come back to the All right. There's a ton of disruption. So we're in a hyper competitive market here. We have big teams, but we also have a lot of disruption coming from the low end of the market, you know, discount brokerages. We have a few brokerages that actually lose money on the brokerage and they make their money from their title, their title partner, yeah. uh, which is a subsidiary. So we, we have disruption and competition We're you know, from all sides and so the model that brought us to where we were in 2019 i mean we went from 38 million in volume in 2008 to 800 million in that time frame and you know we saw basically a, a contracting of margins and that largely coming from competition on the downside but then also you have a disruption coming from technology which can be a positive disruption And so basically we saw all these, you know, market conditions shifting underneath the bus and we wanted to reposition ourselves and really take control of our destiny rather than letting the market dictate, you know, our level of success.
1: Okay. So we'll jump back to the team and then we'll come back to the
2: brokerage again. So
1: you guys are, you just said 800 million. That was a few.
2: We'll be well over a billion this year.
1: Okay, so I was gonna say you're approaching a billion, but it sounds like you'll be over a billion this year. So
2: congratulations, by the way,
1: there are not many teams. I can say they're over a billion. I was actually looking at our uh, CSU customer list just last week because I had a coaching company say, hey, you know, like, do you have 10 teams that are over a hundred million? And, uh, you know, he's like, did we like get a sample data conversion ratios from those teams? So I looked, see how many teams we have over a hundred million. There are hundreds of teams over a hundred million. And I think that says a lot about where this industry is going fact that we, this company that just started two years ago, we have hundreds of teams doing over a hundred million in volume. I remember when that was like everyone's goal. Oh, if I can only get to a hundred million in volume. Right?
2: You remember when that was your goal? <laughs> I mean I wasn't in the company when the goal was a hundred million. And that was I was still in college at that point. I mean I can't take credit for everything that my parents, <laughs> and the other, you know, all the other the rest of the management team and every you know, every part of this organization's created. You know, I've been here for the last two years and you know I've been Really proud and, and humbled to contribute in the ways I have for the last two years, but I certainly can't take credit for the, for the first 700 million of production. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so you've, you've been focused on systems operations. Let's talk about that. Like, what are some things that you're doing that, that are making a
0: difference? If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit.
2: For us, it all comes down to the value of time. So our target agent, well, you know, we have agents across the entire spectrum. But if you're going to ask me who our model is really, really, really good for, it's the agent that is approach, approaching their capacity. You know, a solo agent, typically we see a solo agent reaching capacity around 40 units in a calendar year. But we don't stop there because, again, like if you're comfortable doing 40 units a year and you just want to manage your whole business yourself, like, you know, you don't really want to do any other things and you want, you know, you 100 percent. There's a lot of other options in our market. We want someone that doesn't just want a real estate, you know, a real estate job. We want someone that wants to have a career, that wants to have a true business and wants to become, you know, go from being a realtor to a business operator. That's where we thrive. You know, we help people not just be, do brokerage but to get rental properties, you know, we had a conversation with one that's has graduated from the rental properties is now pursuing multifamily assets. So we help people not just grow an incredible real estate business, you know, where they're not capped at 40 units where they, you know, hundred, hundred plus. Our goal is to get people to grossing over a million dollars just from their brokerage business. But then it's like, what do they want to do with that? And because of our network, because of Bob and Tracy's experience, we have the connections and the experience in place to help them avoid paying the dummy tax. So it's, you've built an incredible business. We're partners in helping you get that scale, get that leverage, get that level of support and tools you need to have a business that throws off a million dollars for you. What else do you want to do with it? How can we help you develop a true real estate business that way?
1: Okay, so I think most teams focus on bringing in an agent and helping an agent get to a hundred or 200 or $300,000 in income. Whereas you guys are a little bit different. You're focused on bringing in these high performing agents that may be a little bit tapped
2: and you're saying, let us help you get to a million dollars. I guess, you know, the way I was thinking of before, it's like, kind of call them like forest agents. So we want people that can see the forest through the trees. And in other words, there's tons of agents that see the trees and say, Oh, I want 90% or I want 100% of that unit because they kind of perceive like a, you know, a self-limiting principle around it where they think in the back of their mind, they're only capable of doing 20, 30 or 40 or whatever it may be. Yeah. We really want the people that say, you know, I don't want just 20. I want to grow each year and I want to get to a million. I want to get to well over a million. I want to have an incredible level of financial freedom around it so I can accomplish anything I want for myself, my family and so forth. So that's what we're really focused on. Again, like our model is extremely competitive. We have agents. I mean, we just brought on, you know, two more new agents in the last two days. So we definitely have that. We have the tools and resources to help them grow. We brought on one agent that was a new agent. She's already in our top 10. We brought another one on last year that was new to the business and he did several hundred, you know, he made several hundred thousand last year. So we have the tools and systems in place to help grow, train and, and develop them. Mm -hmm. But what we're really focused on, again, our sweet spot is that person that's super hungry and wants to go from just being a realtor to being a business operator. And that's a big mind shift there, as I'm sure you know.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's how you guys have 50 locations, right? So these people, you're actually turning them into teams, right? I mean, these are what's,
2: what's what's the term you guys use for that? So each location is a team. Yeah. Uh, within, with the exception of Maryland, Maryland is Bobblecito team. It's all one team. We're on Brokerage in Maryland, but each we have locations throughout all. We're in fifteen states in Canada right now.
1: Okay. We're here talking about teams. You've talked about agents getting them to the next level. I want to get your opinion on this, Robert. I think the industry is changing. I mean, you maybe maybe more than most. You know, Gary Keller wrote a book, Millionaire Real Estate Agent, right? MREA book. I don't know how long ago that was, maybe 15, 20 years ago. That really is what sparked teams coming in into the the industry, in my opinion. And uh, I think KW has far more teams than most brokerages. Although a lot of brokerages now, like they've built their entire business based off of teams rather than the traditional brokerage. So some of the newer brokerages, that's all they have are teams. They don't really have brokerages. Their brokerage is a team. And so As I look at this evolving and developing, as I see some of these new brokerages coming out, I I believe that teams are the future of real estate, meaning they will be the brokerage. And I also believe that the solo agent is going to have a hard time continuing to compete other than the super solid listing agents, right? Because they know how to generate their own business. So I want to get your opinion of that and how else the industry is changing.
2: Where are we going to be in two years, three years, four years? You know, my sense is that it's the party right now. I mean, property values are skyrocketing. Money is super cheap. You know, it's a seller's market. Maybe it's tough right now for buyer's agents if they're solely buyer's agents or so forth, but it's a party now. I mean, you're going to see a lot of solo agents succeeding right now, but the true test comes when the market turns. And, you know, I'm sure you're a big believer in mean reversion. It's going to revert back to the mean. You know, it's not sustainable to continue at this trajectory. So I think you have two factors going on. The first is just the underlying macroeconomic conditions and, and how that will impact the market. I mean, you can just look at, you know, different things such as spending, interest rates. You could look at, you know, foreclosures that are looming and so forth. You know, I think we're somewhat on a house on stilts right now. And so the, f- the first thing is, is how are these solo agents going to be able to compete? And if the strength of the wolf is the pack, it would lead to your proposition that teams are the future. The second thing is just technology. You know, is a solo agent or is a team better positioned to take advantage of those technologies, to form partnerships with technology companies, to grow in tandem. You know, if you're a solo agent, even if you're you kick ass and you're but you're a solo agent, a solo agent making a ton of money, maybe they're doing 50 units, maybe they're doing 100 units. That's 100 units relative to a team which is doing thousands. How much pull are you going to have? How much of your resources can you invest into your business to get a piece of technology? If you make a phone call, are you going to get? Is the technology company going to pick up? So I think it's going to come down to those two things. Is first, how well are you positioned to compete, just based on the underlying market, but also how willing and able are you to take advantage of these disruptive technologies? I mean, if you just think, uh, this is how people used to search for homes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I pulled that. This is from awesome. It's from
1: years ago you know if you, if you go up to uh, Island Park, Idaho where I was this weekend, it's you know a, it's up by Yellowstone and you still walk into any gas station and, and you have those sitting there. That's how people still look for home. Now obviously obviously you know you can go into I, I don't even know what the MLS is up there. I think I think Zillow is what people go into up there to, to look for homes but
2: crazy I mean I just wrote a piece for Real Trends that'll come out in a few weeks. And I close it out, not by I do too, too much of a spoiler, but just looking at the trajectory of, you know, how technology is disrupted. I mean, 20 years ago, you couldn't use your computer and your, and your phone at the same time. 25 years ago, it was illegal for most consumers to access the internet. So you go from illegal to only being able to use your phone or your computer at one time. 15 years ago, 15 to 10 years ago, you're using the newspaper to search for properties where you have that little block and you're looking at the front exterior. Now you can be on the phone while searching for properties at a showing where they don't even have Wi-Fi. And so if you think back, it's like, what if you were resistant to adopting you know, a smartphone? You know, what if you're still using your flip phone? And I, I know people that still use flip phones. If you think about that one small example and then grow it out, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Whereas if you're still resistant to adopting these technologies, or at least your company to adopting and implementing these technologies, how, how are you going to be able to position to compete? And I, and I believe that the companies that are resistant are going to, you know, join the line of, of the companies that were, you know, once robust, but now dwindling. As these new market movers whether they're new to the industry or or incumbents but are more adaptive incumbents i think those are the people that are going to soar
1: yeah I, there's no doubt i mean if you look i grew up with a dad who he owned a few different businesses but he ended up building a real estate company actually had his brokerage i don't remember how many agents i would guess maybe around 50 to 100 agents but still the mls back then like you it was paper, right? So, and then it moved to being the way it is today. Yeah. I mean, that, like just going through what I went through over the last week and, and having a report built within CSU to show how many of our teams are doing over 100 million. Like you could go back 20 years and there were probably no teams doing over 100 million, right? Well, number one, teams didn't even exist, probably. But you couldn't run a business the same way you can now. So you talk about technology being the advantage for some of these companies over like solo agents. Like what are some of the key technologies that you think people need to have in their businesses? It, obviously, we're specifically talking about real estate at this moment.
2: For us, it boils down, and I mentioned this before, the value of time. Everyone focuses on their annual income goal. And it's this abstract thing but really you need to architect and model it back in terms of time, because time is the ultimate equalizer. You know, whether you're a new agent, you know, fresh out the gate, or whether you're a veteran of 25 years making 500 grand, you still only have 24 hours in the day. And so at some point there's no more time, you can't work more, so you gotta work smarter. And, and so when you really boil it down to, I can give you like one example. We have our ISAs and our agents in our leads division on a dialer. And this dialer will not only dial the numbers for them, but it will also leave pre-recorded voicemails if they don't answer. It will it has all these different functionalities so they can leave quick notes, so they can indicate the quality of the call. It interacts automatically with different smart plans. If you go down the list of all the things all the time it saves for each agent or ISA, you know, for an hour of calls it's saving about 20 minutes of their time in things that they used to have to do manually, leaving a 15 second voicemail for every person that doesn't answer. So it's like those little things where you leverage technology that leads to a lot of dollars in return on investment. We blast out success stories from our our lead gen division. And and when you properly leverage technology and you have a success, you know, we had a success that was a $21,000 success. Why? We got a response from a client who wants to list their house and it's a $21,000 commission. It took one free text message from us. And so when you properly leverage technology, the return on investment's huge, not just in terms of cost management, optimization of time, but also, you know, automating different strategies to make yourself more effective. So right now we're really gung-ho on our, our CRM utilization, uh, ISA, lead gen initiatives as well.
1: Yeah, okay. I think it's a great example. And, you know, again, going back in time, people didn't have ISAs. Like, you can go back to there's five years ago, there were very few, I mean, they were, people were starting to talk, people were talking about ISAs, but most people didn't have them. I think last year was kind of the year based on my experience in this industry, which I I work with and speak with a lot of team owners. And it seems like last year, everyone was like building out an ISA team. I need to generate my own links.
2: Well, think about the disruption. I mean, for most teams, for most individual agents, a primary source of lead gen is your open house, open houses gone. Okay. What's next? All right. Well, face-to-face interactions, meeting people out in stores, gone. Listing consultations, getting referrals from it's like gone. So it's like you take out all these interpersonal things on how human beings are built. You know, how do you, you know, how do you survive that disruption? We are fortunately ahead of the curve with our ISA program and we just turned put gas on the fire last year but you're 100 percent right i mean again disruptions come suffering you know adversity comes how do you pivot how do you adjust i mean that was a huge disruption i mean fortunately real estate you know was still a good year just due to macroeconomic stuff but still i mean you did see a, a bifurcation of teams and agents that struggled and the other ones that really excelled yeah they were positioned with the you know the systems the the resources the personnel to capitalize on that. You know, there was a vacancy in the market where people weren't positioned to capitalize on it. They, they didn't have an ISA division. They didn't have lead funnels coming in. They didn't have the systems of nurturing, qualifying and setting appointments. So we fortunately did. So we were able to do that remotely and we, we had a really strong year.
1: Yeah. It's again, that's one of the things I love about what I do is we got to experience a lot of our customers have their best years ever. In fact, most of them did and uh you know if you step outside and go look at people who are playing playing ball the traditional way they didn't have such great years um so all right let's talk about this acquisition you guys did robert you recently announced an acquisition in inman tell us more about that what does that mean to you guys what does that mean to your business why did you guys do that
2: yeah so this is a big credit to our ceo jack jack mazza he as well as andrea leslie and carol delgado who are directors of growth They bootstrapped and really pounded the pavement for three years on this deal. They're a team out in the Midwest covering three states with over 50 team members. And so earlier this year, they joined Lucido Global. So we not only brought on three states, but now we're partners, bringing all our systems to them. And uh, they're already seeing dividends paid off of it. I mean, we're growing our referral network. I mean, the first day that we announced a merger, we already sent two referrals back and forth on the first day. So... You know, by nature of having such a large reach, you know we're covering 15 states in Canada. We're sending pieces of business across everywhere. We really see ourselves not just as you know 50 teams, but one company. So we really try to drive as much collaboration and synergy as possible across our teams. Okay, so
1: I mean, we have a—I don't know how many, but I would guess the very high percentages of people listening to this podcast are team owners or broker owners. So. I mean, you're attracting team owners to come in and be a part of Lucido you know, Global. Like, what is the benefit? Benefit to the team owner? Yeah, yeah. Like, you you have these guys. They're your audience. Like, Why,
2: why should they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and we're bringing out – so we have a minimum standard in order to entertain a conversation. We know we're not going to start a, a location from zero. Uh, but within that, we have a big range, whether it's $10 million, whether it's, you know, a team up in Canada, $50 million doubled the last two year over year or whether it's, you know, the team's out in the Midwest, and I think they're at 400 million last year. You know, it's si- it sounds, you know, abstract. It sounds like it's just, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. So people just say it's our systems or whatever. But when you really sit down, the devil's in the details, I can walk you through like a litany of different examples of how we do that. So our track record team joins us in Canada. They double their first year. They've already doubled through June this year. So it's about, you know, taking our proven systems, our models, the way we, we're structured, where we allocate resources, how we allocate resources, um, and also our brand, our reach. You know, yeah, it would be a really long conversation to, to substantiate all these different points. But really, that's what it comes down to. It's like, how does a business operate well? Well, you could just say systems. Yeah, well, there's truth to that. Like, it's important how a business operates. Like, So as well, although it sounds like, you know, everyone says that, That's really what it's been for us. It's how do you run a business? This is how we run our business. This is how we're going to help you do the same thing. And this is how we're going to use our, our scale and our reach to make it even easier for you.
1: Great. Okay. So we just have a few minutes left. You know, I just want to ask you a few personal questions. Uh oh. Now that your uh, life is no longer baseball, like what's your favorite thing to do in your personal time
2: today? Right now, uh, a lot, a lot of work and working out. I mean, uh, I'm gearing up to move down to Florida. So for the last year, I've just been in grind mode, you know, singularly focused. I'm happy when I'm working. So I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that wants to work nine to five and then just take the weekends off. You know, what is there some quote that an entrepreneur is the only person that'll work like 80 hours to avoid working 40. Yeah. Um, So I'm happy right now. You know, of course I do social things, go out with friends, go out to eat on the weekends and so forth but I'm really happy when I'm working, accomplishing, getting closer to a goal, contributing to, to the company, helping out the family and so forth.
1: Awesome, okay. And uh, do you have a favorite place that you like to travel?
2: I played in Japan when I was younger, love that. I love South Africa. I went there, I dove with Great Whites, you know, hike Table Mountain. There's so much to do when on a mini safari. I played with cheetahs and stuff. I love South Africa. So I mean I, I like to travel and it's on my bucket list again. It's like grind mode right now, so I can start experiencing them. But I, I guess South Africa would be my number one. I just had a really good experience there.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, we actually had some friends want us, wanting us to go
2: to South Africa a couple of years ago, and
1: we haven't been yet. And there's been a lot of chaos in the world, and made it difficult to get there.
2: But you know, I'll send you an itinerary. I mean, it's, it's good to hear. It's you can do so much in that in that little space. I mean, there's beaches. Obviously, we're out there on the same boat at the shark week. So we're out there diving off seal Island. So you see thousands of seals and you're just seeing these great white circle. It's just an unbelievable experience. Wow. Wow. Okay. A lot like real estate, just seeing the shark circle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think you gave some good advice earlier just around identity because like your identity was around baseball. I think a lot of us, our identity can easily become who we are professionally. Um, I don't I don't think anybody wants to get to that, but I think that can easily happen. But what's the most important piece of advice you would give to our listeners today just in in closing out?
2: I guess, you know, if I'm talking to someone that is in that, you know, in that rock bottom or near rock bottom place just to do something. So I, I think back in so many different opportunities that came my way from like a secondary thing. So I did one thing, which led to one thing, which led to this big opportunity. And you're sitting there, like you're kinda, if you don't have any forward progress, you're sitting there and it's like poor me, or maybe if it's not poor me, but you just don't even know what direction to go in. Just start moving. It's like, you're on a bike. If you don't move, you're gonna fall over. So, and I know you're a biker, so you'll appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Yep, momentum is everything, right? (laughs) Yeah, do something. And that's something you'll find an opportunity there. And even if you don't, you just at least done something. You're going to feel better about yourself. But I guarantee you, just by doing something, it's going to lead to the next opportunity, which leads to the next opportunity. And next thing you know, I mean, when I started with the family company, it was because we had an emergency where they had to let someone go and I had to come in to schedule photos for our listings. Like, that's how I got started here. And it was because I was stuck at home waiting to hear from the Marines. They called me. They're like, we need a big favor. I was like, tell me what you need. That's how I got started. So I was stuck in that place and ultimately just something I never thought I was doing. I was like, you know, former professional baseball player went to a really high level school and I came in. The first thing I was going to do was schedule photos. So it's fine. Do something which leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing.
1: Yeah. Great advice. How do people get a hold of you, Robert? If somebody wants to reach out, I'm sure people are going to have questions for you. You guys guys have done a lot of great
2: things. So uh, what's the best way to reach you? You can uh, email me at robert Lucido at lucidoglobal.com.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grit Podcast. It's been great having you with us today, Robert. Thank you so much for joining. Okay. And uh, it's also been great getting to know you over the last several months and grateful to have you as a, as a CISU customer. So Absolutely. And again, uh, everybody watch for the show next week. If you, uh, if you haven't, go out and give us a five-star review. It helps us bring people like Robert onto the show. So
0: we'll catch up with everyone next week. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your set of fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIP, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.